What is a monetized mindset? How does it impact your financial security? How does that help you deal with what happens when what happens happens? Welcome your host, Bart Merrill. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome back to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. This is where we talk about creating financial security by monetizing those things that we already know or do. We take a look at what do you like to do? What do you need to do? What are you already doing? And we ask the question, how can I monetize that? So that we can have the resources to deal with whatever happens when what happens happens. Because it will happen and you never know when it's going to happen. This year started out with a bang. You know, two months ago we were humming along pretty good and then all of a sudden, bam, the coronavirus came. So you never know when something bad's going to happen or something good's going to happen. What happens when what happens happens isn't just about bad things. What if you have the you find the love of your life but you can't afford to get married or you get pregnant, you're going to have your first kid and you're worried about being able to provide for your family. So what happens when what happens happens is about both sides of the of the stream, bad and good. Today we have a great podcast lined up for you. We're going to focus on we're going to focus on things you like to do because our guest today is Jacob Paulson and he is the president and one of the founders of concealedcarry.com. He has this because he's following his passion of of something he likes to do. He grew up in Wyoming. He currently lives in Colorado with his wife and two children. He is always an entrepreneur. And I like what he says here. He says, I've had far more failures, failed ventures than I've had successful ones. But always came back to two things that he loved, which was firearms and internet marketing. So he's followed his passion in the things that he likes to do area and created a, a business of it. And, you know, I thought this was going to be more of a discussion about guns. Turned out we talked more about business and how to create a how to create a financially stable business that can weather these these times that are uncertain. It was a great interview. Jacob is smarter than I thought he was. I want to take a second and talk about TaxBot. For some of you who've been listening to this podcast a lot, I was gonna go in the FBI because of reasons. I think we actually get into it on this podcast a little bit. I didn't make it. So I've been doing my own my own thing, my own business forever. Having a side business or a side hustle or even being in your own business gives you tax advantages that you can take advantage of versus being an, an employee. Keeping track of those those receipts and the mileage and all those things. I used to have boxes and boxes of receipts down in my cold storage and my wife every year would come out can we throw this box away yet? And I was like, well, is it seven years old? No, it's only six years old. Well, then we can't throw it away yet. TaxBot is a way to keep track of your expenses and your your mileage without having all the boxes down in your basement. My wife is so happy that now I can, when I go out to eat and I, I can just take a picture of the receipt and throw it away so it's all stored on the cloud. TaxBot is the only company of its kind that is sanctioned by the IRS. It just makes me feel more comfortable that they're following the IRS's rules and that they know what they're doing. It's it's so easy to use. And if you want more information on TaxBot, you can find it in my resources page at bartmerrell.com. And that's M-E-R-R-E-L-L.com. All right, so let's get to today's show where we're going to talk about, I thought it was going to be boys and their toys, meaning guns, but 
As you'll hear at the beginning of this interview, more women are buying guns right now than men. So with that, let's get on to our podcast and talk with Jacob Paulson. All right, welcome Jacob to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the invite. Hey, so let's talk about what you do and how you got started. Yeah, so I am the president of concealedcarry.com and concealedcarry.com is like plan C in, in the business model. It uh, is not where we originally set out to be, but the really short story would be that originally I owned a private security company and we were outsourcing the training of our security officers to a third party and that got to be kind of expensive, so I thought I can do that. So I got certified and I started teaching our own security officers and that, when that business went belly up, I thought, well, I still got the certification. I can still teach people. So I, I kept teaching classes, but this, this now kind of more primarily to uh, consumers and consumer carriers and those kinds of classes. And that business started to grow and grow. But it was really always kind of a side hustle there as I kind of went back to, to full-time employment. And as I continued to grow that through many, many years, it was really 2015 that we had a breakthrough. That's when we added e-commerce. We went from just teaching classes to saying, well, let's start selling product. And so in late 2015, we quit the day job again. And now ConcealedCare.com is a good, thriving, small business. We have 11 employees and we've been at it now for, for many years. That's, how did you decide this is where you wanted to go? Well, to some degree, it wasn't uh, an active decision. Where the current status of the business, the current business model, what we're doing and how we, how we make money doing it is, was never the intention, right? It really was a matter of adaptation to the point of success. What I definitely could say is that, you know, this was something I was passionate about, loved firearms, loved firearm safety, loved self-defense and the principles of self-preservation and preparation. And so, you know, trying to just wind my way into the industry to figure out, well, what, what does that need to become? That was the journey. And, and sometimes the journey makes it really obvious for you. Like when this government says you can't operate this security business anymore, you better do something else. That, that's pretty obvious. I got to, the government says I can't do this anymore, right? Um, other times it's a little bit less obvious. You're sitting there and you're thinking, man, for the last two years, I've been doing the same thing and I'm just not really experienced much growth. I've got to get creative. I got to think outside the box and say, what's the pivot that I need to make in order to have the next stage of hyper growth to get out of this plateau. And sometimes you got to dig pretty deep and try lots of things till you find the one that works. Right. And you know, one of the things that we talk about here is monetizing the things that you'd like to do or that you're interested in. Everybody talks about that, something you're passionate about. I think the challenge, though, is that there's a tendency to kind of, it's, I call it the field of dreams myth, right? If you build it, they will come. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs run into this problem. I, I can tell you, this is something I've definitely dealt with many times. Like, I'll give you a, a, the first example I can think of. When, when Android phones came out, I was really passionate about them. I've, I've always, you know, despised Apple as a company and all of its products. So when Android devices came out, I was like, sweets, I'm on the bandwagon, I'm in. I created a website, uh, you know, all about uh, just a blog all about Android phones. And I was blogging on, and I was pumped and I was, life was good. And we were getting decent traffic on this blog, but we didn't make any money. And so of course, what, what eventually happens to anything that you're pouring a lot of time into that you don't make any money on? You give up and it fizzles out, right? Yeah. I, uh, I, for a while there, I was really into geocaching. And for your listeners, they may have no idea what that is, but it's a, it's a very old school GPS oriented treasure hunt game around the world. And so I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make money doing this. So I started a website called startgeocaching.com. We kind of had a starter kit, an ebook. Bought it. And I was really for a long time subject to the field of dreams myth, this idea that, if, well, if you build a business or if you build a product and 
just put yourself out there that don't worry, it'll, it'll happen. Someone will just start buying <laughs> stuff from you. And uh, anyways, that, that, that's like the first nasty lesson of, of most people's you know, entrepreneurial journeys. And it certainly was for me. I call it, uh, when do you say uncle? <laughs> and I've been down that road. You know, when you're going down that road, there comes a time when, when it's time to say uncle and you got to know when that is. Mine was with poker. I thought I was going to be a professional poker player. And this is back when you could play online for money. And I was playing eight to 10 hours a day, got eight months down the road. And I looked at my, my account and I was plus less than 600 bucks. And I did the math <laughs> yeah. and I was like 29 cents an hour. I don't think I can eat off of this. So I better, you know, put that on the back burner, which I did. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's just saying, you know, I, could, I can't be successful doing this. But I think a lot of times it's an issue of a business model failure. I think right. a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't understand what it means to actually build a business because the average entrepreneur is so focused on the product, right? Uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so passionate about this thing that I'm going to make or that I'm going to put out there, this class service that I'm going to offer. I know it's going to be the best because I'm so pumped about it. It's going to be awesome. And they put in all this time and energy into putting out this awesome product or service, but then they forget that, well, it doesn't matter because like, you only got so many friends and family that can buy it from you. And then you're going to be sitting there twiddling your thumbs, wishing you had more customers. And it has to be pretty dang life-changing for just your friends and family to create a wave that's going to start a business that's going to keep you sustained and give you a living. And so it, it, it's, it's so much more than that. And, and figuring out how to actually grow and scale a business in a way that is functional, that has taken me many a cycles of uh, failure to get to something that's working. Right. Well, in my case, a lot of that goes to mentorship and I, I, let's go back to my poker analogy. I, I talk about two things that I don't remember learning how to do. One of them was I don't, didn't remember learning how to play poker because my brother-in-law's taught me at such a young age. We were playing with matchsticks and stuff as a little, I mean, I'm probably three, four years old. And I don't remember not having a horse. My brother gave me a hand-me-down horse that he bought for roping that just, it wouldn't work for a roping horse because every time he threw the rope, the horse would throw his head and get caught in the rope. It was the horse I rode, but I asked my dad one day, when can, I, when can George be my horse? And he said, well, when you can put the saddle on by yourself. And we're not talking a, a little English saddle. We're talking a big adult roping saddle. And I tried for five years before I made that happen, and I didn't give up. I didn't holler uncle because I've, I'd seen people doing it. I had I knew that I could do it. I knew I just needed to grow. Whereas with the, the poker thing, I gave it eight months and gave it up because I just figured I couldn't do it. And I studied hard. I mean, I, I devoured poker books and learned how to play poker. And, and I played tons of hands online. And I just didn't have the right mentor to, to push me or to show me that, hey, this could be done. At least that's what I kind of chalk it up yeah. to. And there's the equivalent of that in the entrepreneur world, generally speaking, is that sometimes you just don't have the product you know, yeah. or, you, or you don't have the right partner or you, you legitimately, despite doing all the things right, just aren't going to make it. And that, that absolutely happens. Uh, but I think that a lot of business failures are more associated with uh, the, the other thing we were talking about, just, just the general sense that, well, you didn't do it right. Yeah. Getting customers is not a complicated thing. Like there's a couple of models. We can A, really hope for virality, tell friends, family, and really hope it spreads. 
very few businesses make it doing that. And most of them are small retail operations, like really good ice cream parlor. Right. Option two, you can get really, really good at SEO. You can dominate some search phrase and just own it. And that's generally only legitimately achievable for a local business. You can get really good at being number one on Google for uh, you know, chiropractors in Lehigh, Utah, or <laughs> Manchester, New Hampshire, if you want. But right. that's, that's, you know, that's a local business. And, and yes, that's achievable. Good luck. But if, but if you think you're going to, you know, you're like in my business, if I think I'm going to go on social, if I'm going to go on Google and become number one uh, for, for things like concealed carry holster, I got another thing coming. I'm competing with Cabela's and right. Bass Pro Shop, companies that are, are, are billion dollar businesses and, and tons of million dollar businesses that have been doing it for decades. So that wasn't really an option for me. So friends and family virality, good luck. Dominate search engine optimization, maybe for your local business. The, the third option really is advertise, like spend money on ads and hope people see it, take action and buy stuff from you. And that's where I think most entrepreneurs get in real big trouble is that gets very intimidating. You, you talked about um, you know, this idea of you know, do what you're passionate about and monetizing your mi- mindset. I'm reminded of a, uh, a man who, uh, when Evernote came out, Evernote's a pretty popular desktop software. And when it came out, it had no instructions. You were just expected to know how to use it. And it was very popular and business was thriving. I mean, they were publicly traded and still had no instruction manual. So a man in his side, you know, outside of his day job, just on the side, he decided to build an instruction manual, start selling it on the internet. And he would just run ads, you know, and people would Google and what Evernote instructions and his advertisement would pop up. People click on it and they'd pay the whatever, what he was charging, 10, 20, 30 bucks or something to download the PDF file that he made. And that's a business. Poof. He loved Evernote. He thought it was amazing. He thought it was great. He just, there was just no instructions. So he creates it. You know, his, in this case, he's got extremely high profit margins, right? All he has, it's just his time. And he's right. selling a PDF file. There's no hard cost. And poof, you know, it, it starts doing really well. And in fact, eventually Evernote contacted him and hired him uh, as an executive. So he works there now. So, so yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity for someone like me who says, uh, I said, hey, I love self-defense. I love firearms. I love self-preservation and all these concepts. So I'm going to go do something. And in my case, I started with security work and then it morphed into what it is today. But at some point, you're going to have to stop and say, well, who am I going to sell it to and how am I going to sell it? Because the friends right. and family plan is, just doesn't work for most businesses. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So let's get into some gun talk. Uh, men and their toys. A lot of us like our guns. Women and their toys. Sometimes they like their guns. My wife is not a, a gun advocate, so anytime she goes home to Japan to visit her family, that's when I, that's when I buy my toys. <laughs> well, 68% of new gun buyers today are female. Wow. So they, they represent more than half of the new gun, buyer, new gun owners of America. So what are some of the issues that come up? I, we talked earlier about how I actually believe I'm on your list because I get advertisements on Facebook and I... And I get an email from you as well, I believe. One of my, my hesitations to getting a concealed carry permit is I don't want my name on a government list. And now that this is on a podcast, I'm probably going to go up on several lists. But hey, we talked about that earlier. You kind of eased my, I don't know if you eased my concerns, but you, you gave me a false hope that, uh, or you got rid of my false hope that I was going to stay off any lists. Yeah. So this is one of those tough things and the real like barreled down, super concise answer to someone who has this concern is first and foremost, you know, in this age, do you really think that you can stay off any list for anything? 
uh, you know, it takes very little to put you on a radar. If, if, if we're talking about like a national federal power who really cares who owns guns, I think, I think that you're pretty, anyone who owns guns is pretty, you have a hard time staying off that radar. So first and foremost, good luck. Um, second, it's important to understand that what would it what would it matter? Like that's the bigger question. Let's say you do somehow proactively put yourself on on the government list. Well, what are you really concerned about? What's the what's the trepidation? And and most of the time people give me answers like, well, I'm worried about the government coming after my guns. I'm worried about confiscation. Well, what like we need to really think about that a little bit. Confiscation is is not happening tomorrow. Now it could absolutely happen in the future. So I'm not saying that it's it's unnecessary to be concerned about it. And we need to watch out for those kinds of things. But it would take a lot like the complete and 100% abolishment of the Second Amendment. And that's not something that today public opinion will allow to happen. Uh, now, down the road, maybe one day, sure, in my lifetime, I kind of doubt it. But, but today, it's not, it's not realistic. And should you be concerned about that, I suppose? But if, that, if it comes to that, if we abolish the Second Amendment, well, you've got bigger problems. Like the fact that the government knows you own some guns would be the least of my concerns. Here's my second thought that hopefully would help someone with this question. Gun registration is effectively a myth. We all sit down, we've seen the TV shows, we're watching CSI, cops show up at a crime scene, there's a gun, they grab the serial number, they type it into their fancy computer, it pops back, oh, John Doe at 555 Main Street owns this gun, let's go talk to him. That's not a thing. So you need to understand that in 1986, uh, George Bush Sr. signed into law the Firearm, the Firearm Owner Protection Act, FOPA, we call it FOPA. And it, this law made it effectively illegal for any organization or governing body to keep a database of guns and their uh, owners. So there are a handful of jurisdictions who had these lists in place before the new law went into effect, and they've not been challenged in court sufficiently to cause them to eliminate them. So, but, but I mean, the, the number of these jurisdictions fits on one or two hands, right? We're talking about New York City, uh, Massachusetts, California, Hawaii, arguably Maryland, and some others to some degree. But, but for the most part, gun registration doesn't exist. So if a person said, oh, I'm worried that I'm going to be on a list, they're going to know I, I have a carry permit, so therefore I probably have guns, or I'm a member of the NRA, so therefore I probably have guns. Well, that doesn't mean they know what guns you have. Today, uh, Bart, you live in Utah. If you walked into a gun store in Utah, you, you're going to fill out an ATF form to buy that gun. Background check is going to be run. But the paperwork related to that background check is supposed to be just destroyed by the state and or if it gets to the federal government by the federal government within 48 hours. And even if they didn't destroy it, the only thing that paperwork says is that you bought either a handgun or a long gun. It doesn't give a maker model or a serial number. The only record that actually has the serial number and those kind of specifics is the physical paperwork kept by the dealer who sold the gun. And they are required to keep those records for up to seven years but the government has no right to those records without a subpoena or in case that that dealer happens to go to business the the government can seize the records but they can't put them into a database so it's 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 not as big of a concern that people have and i think generally the concern is rooted in the false understanding or belief that guns are registered when in fact they're mostly not as we talked earlier that's that's one of the things that you made me realize and obviously in order to get a subpoena to get records there has to be something pretty serious and pretty concrete before your information can be given up yeah in today's environment certainly and and i i wouldn't see that changing in the immediate future right in your business model, how do you generate the majority of your income? Yeah, so we really have three uh, revenue streams. So the first one is what I would call just advertising. And, and that comes from the pillar of our business that we would just call content. So content is monetizable. We have a very active blog. We have video channels. We have four podcasts as a company. And so obviously an advertiser might come to us, you know, 
say Glock. Glock is a name most people know. So Glock might come to us and say, hey, we want to run ads in your podcast or banner ads on your blog or ads in your email list or whatever thing that they might want to do. And they give us money. We put their ad up wherever you know, we were contractually agreed to do so. So that would be one, one revenue stream. Uh, that does not represent a significant amount of our revenue, though there are a lot of websites out there where that's almost all of their revenue. And we have competitors that that's their main thing they do. For us, probably less than 10% of our revenue comes from ad- advertising. The second uh, you know, kind of pillar of our business, what we would call in-person training. So we operate a, for lack of a better word, a network of instructors who they teach in, in-person, face-to-face classes to students. Generally, these are conciliatory classes or more advanced firearm training courses, uh, sometimes medical uh, training classes as well. And their classes are listed for sale on our site. So a student goes to our site, they sign up, we take a, we take a, part, of the, a part of the revenue, give the rest to the instructor who actually ends up interfacing with and teaching that student the class. That also does not represent a significant amount of our revenue. It might be close to four or five percent of top line sales, but in terms of net profit, it's like zero. In fact, it's negative. We probably operate it at, at a deficiency. The third and, and really the bigger part of our business is just e-commerce. You go to our site, you buy something, we ship it to you. That represents probably 85 plus percent of top line sales and, and, and more than that in terms of percentage of, of net profit. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we're making our money. Your concealed carrier, your training sales, is that local to you or is it anywhere? Anywhere. Yeah. So on the e-commerce side, it's very spread out. I mean, it's, it's national. We don't ship outside of the U.S. So you got to be in the 50 states plus D.C. to get a product from us. But it's it, our trends follow what I would call broad and normal e-commerce trends. So Florida, Texas, and California, the three most highly populated states in the U.S., they are also uh, places where we're likely to get the most orders. So our, our trends are very similar to other e-commerce businesses, and, and we ship nationally. On the in-person side, obviously, we're, you know, we have face-to-face interface with a, with a student. Now, that is isolated wherever we may have instructors that participate in our network, which right now is, you know, we have like 50 or so instructors in like 28 states. Gotcha. And when it comes to you, your infatuation, if you want to call it that, or your, your interest in guns and, and protection and, and the stuff you, where did that stem from? I wish I had a better story, Bart. <laughs> uh, I, I, every time I get this question, I think, man, if I had a really good story, it would, be, it would be better for the business. But I mean, the honest truth is I really liked James Bond movies when I was a kid. And uh, I think Jason Bourne movies were pretty cool too. I don't know, somewhere in there, late teenage years, um, I just, I thought that this, this was, it just sounded cool. You know, I was, a, I was a little dorky boy teenager. And if you'd asked me at age 14, what I do, what I want to do with my life, what I told you, I want to go in the secret service. And I wanted to be a, you know, be a bodyguard for the government. That, that would have been my dream of the day. As I, as I aged, some of those things tweaked a little bit, but I, I just always was fascinated with this idea of self-defense. You know, the United States of America is quite remarkable. Our, our self-defense concepts are not unique to us. In fact, most countries in the world honor the idea of self-defense, that you have a right to defend yourself against a, a deadly threat or a threat at all. Uh, in fact, most of our self-defense laws really derive from English common law, which is really old. But we are unique in this country in the sense that we have instigated from the very early foundations of our country the right to keep and bear arms. So this idea that the, you know, firearms are a part of this self-defense concept and we have the right to use up to deadly force to protect ourselves is very unique to our country. And so I like to think of myself as a patriot, uh, certainly a student uh, of, our, of American history. And this, this, is, this is part of our fabric. Uh, who we are. And so for me, I don't know, somewhere deep down inside of me, I identify with this idea that we have the right to defend ourselves and that we have the right to use a gun to do that where it's appropriate and legal and moral and all those other things. 
we have something in common. My um, goal when I went to college was to get in the FBI. Mm. And I went, I studied accounting to get there. I didn't enjoy accounting. I wasn't good at accounting. If there was the word accounting in the class in college, I could study my butt off and I would get at the best a B minus, maybe a C. If it didn't have accounting and if it was biology or anything else, I didn't have to study and I would get a B plus or an A. It was just really weird that way that those were fairly easy to me. But anyway, long story short, I had RK surgery done on my eyes before I graduated college, like six months. It was my last quarter up at Utah State. After I had the RK surgery done, I found out that that automatically disqualified me. Yeah, I'm a similar boat. When I was 15 years old, I went deaf in my right ear and that disqualified me immediately for any sort of field work for any federal agency or the U.S. military. Yeah. So sometimes those things happen. We just have to tweak it. You know, we just have to say, okay, well, like, you know, I have this vision in my head of how awesome I'm going to be in my life and what I'm going to do with it. And it sounds really cool to me. And I'm just a young 15 year old kid who now can only hear in one ear. Well, what are my alternatives? You know, what, what, are, what are the limits of what I can do? And so in my mind, I thought, well, I'll just go do the exact same thing I was going to do in the public sector. And I'll just do it privately in the private sector. And, to, you know, that's evolved, obviously, several times over to where I am today. But it, I, I do hardly believe in the concept of getting to plan B, that, that very rarely do any of us set out with a plan for anything and actually perfectly have it happen just like we want. We have to be really good. There's a talent that a business owner and an entrepreneur, which I believe are two different types of roles. I believe both business owners and entrepreneurs have to be good. They have to develop the skill of pivoting, of saying our original plan was X and it's not going to happen. How do we get to Y? And there's something to that. Yeah, I had a, a lady on my podcast from Australia a couple of podcasts ago. And the reason, the, what caught my attention about her is she quoted Darwin in his quote saying that it's not the smartest species or the strongest species that's going to survive. It's the species that's able to adapt. And that's just a paraphrase of his quote. But being willing to, like you said, when your situation, my situation, make that pivot when it comes to what you're going to do when things go wrong and having a plan B, plan C, or even several plans running together. Like you have three different income streams in your business that you run right there in your business model mm -hmm. and you could add others. Yeah. You know, yeah. just branching off what you already have there and paying attention to what your clients want or need and adding those to your offering is something that's very important when it comes to entrepreneurship. I uh, heard once, uh, this is uh, credit would have to go to Ryan Dice and digital marketer, but he, he teaches this concept of a, what he calls a three by three matrix. And the premise of his concept was that to be stable as an e-commerce business, you need to have three offers that you run and offer is a pretty generic term. We can leave it at that. And each of those needs to have three profitable traffic sources. And so that's this kind of three by three grid. And I, I've th I think about that a lot because I think there's something to be said about stability comes from kind of nine things, this three by three concept. And so if I have three different streams of income and each of them is individually kind of broken into three different sources or traffic streams or types of customers or market segments or whatever, you know, insert here, that creates a certain degree of stability. Now, not a lot of businesses get to that kind of three by three matrix, but I'm always working on it. I'm always thinking about that and saying, you know, how do I create that level of stability where I have three things that make us money 
and each of those has three different you know streams that support it so that when one thing fails we're not we're not down and out right and i think a lot of people right now with the coronavirus going on are kind of in that that place where something has failed and they're down and out there's there's Absolutely. probably well obviously there's what 30 close to 30 million unemployed right now maybe we're over that now close to 40 million and some of those are business people who have failed or maybe they had, they're coming next is the business people that can't make it because of the the suppression of of the mobilization of people sure yeah and a lot of a lot of industries are really poorly affected obviously and more than ever you have people getting entrepreneurial and saying well you know i I, I had this idea. Now's the time to execute it. Or I had the side business. Now's the time to make it a full-time business. It's the only business I got left, you know? And so we got you know, a lot of people out there who are looking to get creative. And obviously there are some industries that are thriving due to the virus and the situation. So a person has got to get creative, figure it out. Yeah. I just heard the other day that uh, the soda business, like the Sodacious and there's several of those. They are thriving. And I, I see it at the local ones because there's such a line going to that. And I was just like, wow, I wouldn't wait in line that long for a soda. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, even the big players, Pepsi's business is up like 10%. Uh, and 10% for a company like Pepsi is humongous. Right. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, we're, we're having this conversation via Zoom right now. You and I really wish we'd been buying stock in Zoom in about December. Uh, you know, they're crushing it. And anything that's helping people work remotely or virtually is doing really well. And there's, there's a lot of industries that are thriving. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic for any business owner or employee or anybody out there who's down and out during this crisis. But this comes down to really figuring out how to bolster yourself against any sort of uh, thing that can hurt. And, and sometimes there's nothing you can do. If you're a local restaurant right now, you can be, have the best business model and the best restaurant in town. You're still kind of just up a creek without a paddle. The best thing you, you know, the only thing you could have done is, is to live very uh, providently by having, you know, X number of months worth of expenses set aside in cash and supplies and other things so that you could just weather the storm. And that's, that's, that, you know, that's a whole different conversation, but yeah, it's a tough game. Well, and that's one of the things we talk about here on Monetize Your Mindset is being prepared for what happens when what happens happens because it will happen. Yep. You know, life is going to happen. And fortunately for me, I have been through some downturns, several of them in my experience. So I do have that, that uh, emergency fund tucked away to, to get me along because my Japanese stuff is dead right now. Yeah. because it was dependent on Chinese tourists in Japan and there are no Chinese tourists in anywhere right now. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And so that's an important part is that whether it's pivoting, being able to pivot or being able to sustain yourself through a, a slow time. Now, granted, this is something I don't think anybody could have been prepared for. I know no. I, I believe that, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. I had, I have several months in the bank, but I don't know if I have enough. Yeah, no, yeah that, you're right. Right. I mean, sometimes there's just bad, you know, bad things happen. I, I know a guy who owns a holster company. He makes holsters. Last hurricane that came through Houston, got far enough inland to destroy his workshop, you know, $80,000 with equipment. You know, how, how, can you, how do you prepare for that? You know, that, that size of a business, you just, you can't, he's done, he's out, you know, file bankruptcy, move on sometimes. But we do need to think broadly and to the best right. of our ability say, 
you know, what's good advice for personal accounting is also good advice for business accounting uh, relative to some of these provident things. And then we just need to diversify our revenue streams to the best of our ability so that when something bad does happen, hopefully it doesn't impact all of the systems we have in place. I, I think of entrepreneurship and I think about, you know, businesses as machine building. I, I, for whatever reason in my head, Bart, you'll think this is funny, but for whatever it's worth. And when I think about a business or an offer or an advertising, you know, plan or a campaign, anything like that, I just picture a copy machine, like an actual physical copy machine, one of those big ones that, you know, large companies have in the office. And I always think of it simply as this, a business is me inserting resources in one end of the copy machine and the other end of the copy machine spitting out more money than I put in. Right. Right. So, so the business, maybe I got to stick in a thousand dollars and I'm hoping that a thousand and one dollars or more pop out the other end of the, of the machine. And my job as the, as the business owner and or entrepreneur is to open the machine up and constantly tweak out the gears and the wheels and, and, and do what's necessary to make the machine more efficient. So that, so that when you put the $1 in, instead of $2 coming out, $3 come out. And so I think, I think about that sometimes in big terms, like my entire business is a big machine. And sometimes I think about it in terms of little things like, well, I'm going to go do this ad campaign or I'm going to launch this new product and this particular effort, this initiative, this campaign is its own little machine. And it, it on its own needs to be such that whatever I put in one end, more comes out the other end. And if we think about it that way, that to me, that's been, that's, that's served me very, very, very well as an entrepreneur to make sure that not only can I grow a real business, but I can scale it because when you build a machine, and you put a dollar in and $2 comes out, what's the next thing you do? Well, you put in $100 right. and you hope that $200 comes out. And if it does, you have magic because most, most of us, we build a machine, we put in a dollar, $2 comes out, we put in $100, 150 comes out. We're like, right. oh, well, that's still pretty good. So then we put in $1,000 and like $1,200 comes out. And so it doesn't scale perfectly well. And so we're constantly opening the machine and making more tweaks to try and increase the scale, uh, the profitability at scale, I should say. So as a business, you know, as anyone out there who's listening to this, like the way I, I, my, my brain works is I just think about machines simply at the micro or at the macro level. I'm thinking, how do I tweak this so that when it's small, I'm, I'm putting in $1 getting out too, but I do it in a way that's as scalable as possible so that tomorrow I can put in a thousand and get out 2000. Right. And as you tweak the machine and you, and you allow yourself to do that, you can scale it. That's, that's how, that's how almost, almost every big business I know of, they do it through advertising to cold traffic because it's the most scalable thing on planet earth. If right. I can spend $100 in advertising and I make $200 doing it, I can, I can scale that. Most other forms of getting customers are not scalable. Friends and right. family are not scalable. A lot of other things are not scalable. So anyway, I'm a machine builder and that's the way I think of it. That's, that's an awesome analogy. I really like that. And, and that's what I think we need to get that into our government as well. Put in a dollar, <laughs> get $2. All right, yeah, let's get, nice. and that's another, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> we don't even want to get into here. Let's get into some questions that I ask all my guests. This is from a Tim Ferriss book, a Tribe of Mentors. And he asks a question in there. What mistake or failure have you had where you've learned the most and what did you learn? So as a businessman, uh, I would say probably is being too dependent on a single source of revenue. And we've spent a lot of time talking about this. And obviously, I'm very passionate. And it's probably because of this. In uh, early 2018, about April-ish of 2018, we saw a significant uh, trend, bad trend for us. Uh, 
mean, so much of our revenue at that time, like 95% of our revenue was dependent on a single product we were selling via a single traffic source where we advertised it. And some significant shifts happened in that, in that place where we were advertising that caused it to be significantly less profitable. And so we saw cost per customer acquisition going up. And it started, like I said, about April and May 2018. It was going up and up and up and it was just climbing and we were just hitting our heads against the wall thinking, what in the world is going wrong? What, what are we doing wrong? Or what is changing the platform that we need to adapt to make it work? And they're just, it, it, was, it was really ugly. Uh, we went from being a very affluent and strong business to being very in debt, uh, trying to stop the bleeding. And uh, there comes a day where you just, you, you pull the plug and say, stop that. We can't continue to ask ourselves how to fix the thing that's broken. We need to go build a new one. And so I think the biggest mistake I've made is wanting to figure out how to fix the broken machine instead of recognizing much faster that the machine was broken and I had to go build a different one. That if the business was going to survive, I needed to stop wasting my time trying to make it like the glory days of our, of our business model and instead go change the business model. So that took a long time. Probably it took a good solid nine months to really totally understand that concept and pivot and go do something else. And now obviously it's much more significant um, emphasis on preventing that from happening again by diversifying those revenue streams the best I can. So that, that's the one that comes to mind. And so once Ken, we're back to pivoting and being able to adapt to change, which Absolutely. is important. Okay, now let's flip that to the other way. And maybe it's going to come back the same way as well. But let's flip that to what's your biggest success? And what did you learn from it? Yep. So two things come to mind. I'll share both because one of them is really fast and painless. Uh, one of them is brand acquisition. So as a company, when we first started our national brand, it was USA Firearm Training, which is not a name that has any recognition or is interesting. It was fine, but it very much so had the word training in it. So did it really say that we were selling products, right? Because we were a training company, then we started e-commerce. Well, there came a day where I said, you know what? I, I attended a seminar about domain acquisition, about, you know, mo basically the premise was most companies when they start their business, they go to some domain register on the internet and they check to see if their business name is available.com. And if it's not, they move on and pick something else. Well, this seminar I attended, the man made the suggestion that, well, maybe because it's just because it's not available doesn't mean you can't get it. And you need to ask yourself, what would it take? What's going to cost to go get the, the real true best product, best brand I could get? And in my case, that, that came true with concealedcarry.com. In my industry, and for those of you who are not familiar with it, that you, you may not understand this, but concealedcarry.com is about the best I could have wished for. Like if I waved a magic wand and said, what would my website be? I would have said probably concealedcarry.com. So right. us being able to acquire that, and it took time and energy and patience and persistence and money. <laughs> it took all these things. But us getting that done was probably one of the best business decisions we've ever made. So, and since then, I put my, a lot of time and energy into thinking about brands. And then we have a lot of sub-brands that we own. We own Midnight, Midnight Ride Media. We own Mountain Man Medical. We own Range Tech uh, Solutions. We own a uh, Glock, Glock Easy Trainer. These are all a lot, of, a lot of different brands. Some of those I acquired. Uh, those are businesses that we purchased. Uh, other of those, we, we, we launched from scratch. And every time I have to come up with a product name or a new business name or a website name, I do not take it lightly. I think really hard and I'm not afraid to spend money. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on domain names uh, to, to get the right ones. The second thought, uh, and this is probably the better of the two answers, and that is getting the right people is everything. 
Now, the, the, all, every entrepreneur knows this. Every business owner knows that hiring the right people is the most important thing you could possibly do. Like it's in every book, it's in every podcast, it's in every webinar. It's, it's 101 business work, right? You know you're supposed to get the best people. The problem is that there's not really a, generally a very good template to tell you how and where. How do I find these people and how do I filter them and how do I, how do, I do what needs to be done to get the best people? Well, here's what I've come to believe and understand, and this, is, this has led me very well, that the most important thing when looking for an employee to hire is finding the employee who doesn't want a job, but they desperately want this job. And that has led me very, very well. Uh, today, we have 11 employees, including myself, so B plus 10. We've had a little bit of turnover. I guess we've probably had five or so people you know, that, that have come and gone uh, since we've been doing this the last several years. But most of our employees take, took pay cuts to work for us. They saw the job posting and they said, I want that job so bad, I'll do anything, including get paid less than I make now. And, and you got to ask yourself, are your employees those people? Are your, are your people or the person you're interviewing right now, is that person so passionate about working for your brand that they'll take a pay cut to do it? And if the answer is no, you're probably hiring the wrong person. That's my experience. Is that more important than how qualified they are or how well-trained or experienced they are, more important than almost anything is that they desperately, passionately want to work for you and your company. And, and that guiding principle has led me very well because we have, in my opinion, the best people we could have. And that is the number one asset of any business. And we all know it. That's, that's great advice. I, something I haven't really thought about to that extent. Yes, I want someone who wants to work for me, but I think mainly I would have thought who's qualified. And that's something that we probably should put on the back burner and have it, like you said, who's willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. Yeah. And, and, and qualified is important, right? I, I don't mean just like hire a bunch of, you know, in, right. in, 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 you know, whatever idiots, you know, that's, that's not what we're going for. And sometimes it's harder than other times. For example, um, in 2017, I think, I think it was 2017, we hired a mobile app developer. We have three apps as a company and it just became necessary to have someone full-time in-house. So we went to hire one. Well, this is a much more niche kind of consumer that I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who's extremely talented. Um, they're local in my local market. They are, have to be very qualified. They're on their own. They're going to be holding the burden of three mobile apps. It's a pretty heavy burden to ask someone to, to, to carry. And so above and beyond that, I also want someone who's really passionate about guns, the Second Amendment, and self-defense. That's a, that was a tall order. So what did that mean? Well, it just mean I had to be more patient. I had to look more applications come in. I had to reject more of them. I had to interview more of them. And I just had to wait for the right person. And that might mean that it's going to take me a lot longer to hire than I want. Uh, maybe I, you know, I, I just have to choose to not be desperate and say, I'm waiting for the right person. The person right. who's going to be, you know, and this was really important because when, when 2018 came, as I mentioned, and we had some rough things happen to us as a company financially, I didn't lose a single employee. Uh, quite the contrary. I had employees who said, hey, I get it. If you have to pay me less, I don't care if I have to work for free, but I will, you know, I, I'll put in overtime. I'll do whatever. You don't have to pay me extra. I want us to succeed. And it would have been really easy for an employee to say, oh, times are tight. I'm jumping ship. You can't right. give me the raise I need. I'm jumping ship. Um, but that wasn't the case. We didn't, we have so far, I've never lost anyone uh, because of that kind of situation. So yeah, sometimes it means being more patient because you're looking for that highly qualified individual who also meets that other criteria. But I, I can't imagine anything more important than having good people 
And I can't imagine anything more important to having good people than that that person desperately and passionately wants this job. Right. And then back to uh, domain names. I, your concealedcarry.com is a, an amazing domain name. And I thought monetizeyourmindset.com was amazing when it was available for cheap. But then I realized whenever I say that to somebody, the first question I get, what, get is, well, what does monetize your mindset mean? Yeah. Or how to spell that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so how do you, you spell know, monetize? Yeah, no, you'd be surprised what people can't spell. I mean, you, you got to ask yourself, like if you waved a magic wand, what would yeah. be the best domain you could get? Maybe in your case, it's businesspodcast.com or it's mindsetpodcast.com or it's, well, I don't know. I don't know what it is, right? So you, you but you got to say, well, if I waved the magic wand, what would it be? And then don't shut yourself down. Like go see what it would take to get that. Um, yeah. Sometimes, you know, like in the case of concealedcarry.com, that business was in place. That website existed. There were products there. They were being sold. There were people, like it was an active company. So that was not an easy game. I had to, to go get that. I had to go acquire the entire business in order to get the domain. That's gotcha. what it took. Um, but in other times, we've gotten websites that we uh, have gone to bat for where it just meant doing a little bit of heavy lifting. Sometimes it's purely about the money. It's about, you know, it's, it's, it's in an auction. So, you know, whoever has it is is familiar with the concept of selling domains and they're going to be all about top dollar. Then there's just some negotiating tactics that are you know, pretty negotiating one-on-one kind of stuff. Uh, and, and you're able to get it. Other times it's a factor of, well, this domain is, is not available, but it's not for sale. And the, and the website either hasn't been updated in 1 million years, or there's, it's not even, there's just a parked page or a dead page or something. Those are my favorite because that person's not using it. And I'm going to go to bat. And, and, and so many entrepreneurs would have just seen not available and would have moved on. Right. But I might be able to go spend, uh, I, I've gotten lucky before and spent as little as like 500 bucks and gotten websites that were amazing. Uh, gunaffiliates.com cost, cost us less than $500. Uh, shottimer.com is another kind of weird property of ours uh, that cost us like 200 bucks. So sometimes you just got to, don't dismiss it because it's not available. Like go see what it would take. So a buddy of mine, he's in a, an acapella group called Voicemail. I don't know if you ever heard of them when you were living in this area. Mm-hmm. They're one of the best acapella groups around. They started at Utah State mm. University back when I was in college. That's how old they are. <laughs> <laughs> but they owned DuckTheHalls.com because in their show, they would sing the song Rubber Ducky from Sesame Street. <laughs> And the audience would throw rubber duckies at the people on stage singing. And so they purchased ducktohalls.com and Duck Dynasty came after it and bought uh, it from them there you for go. quite a bit of money. Yeah, that'll, that'll, uh, that'll pay for uniforms for the next little while. <laughs> Domain brokering is its own business, just like physical real estate is. But as entrepreneurs, I think we just got to get creative. And I'll, I'll add one other thought though, because in case... Some people, I've had people say, well, Jacob, you're lucky. You got, you know, your magic wand domain that is exactly what your business is. I, I, I can't get mine or it's not available or whatever. So what do I do? You know, there's plenty of big companies out there that have names that you don't understand. You know, right. without the backstory, you're like, I don't get it. So don't completely get too concerned. I think the point is when you name a business, you either have to name it exactly what it is in a way that's, that has extreme credibility, which I was lucky enough to be able to pull off in this case. Other times you're looking for something that just has meaning that the people who identify with your, what, what I would say your why, I'm a big fan of the book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, people who identify with your deepest passion and purpose, that they will understand your meaning, meaning or once they, once they hear you explain it, 
they'll be on board. So for example, I have a, an ad agency that we, we own called Midnight Ride Media. And that doesn't sound particularly interesting. Uh, way better than Paulson Media, which is what most uh, companies in that industry do is they just name it after their own, their own names, which right. by the way, anyone who ever names any business after the name, I think is a fool. But anyway, uh, Midnight Ride Media. Well, when you land on the site, we try and make it really easy for you to hit the about page or for you to see in the sidebar that our company is all about the concept of mi the mixture of two things. One is word of mouth marketing, which Midnight Ride, referring to Paul Revere and him riding through the countryside, physically, you know, telling people that the Redcoats were coming, that the, 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 the army was coming. And it's also based on the principle of patriotism and you know, American history and, and, and caring about our rights. So we felt like perfect, you know, if I could have gotten paulrevere.com or revere, paulrevermedia.com, I would have, but I couldn't. So Midnight Ride was about as close as I could get. And on the surface, it's like, well, people would dismiss that. But hopefully if they attempt to do any business with us at all, they're going to discover why we named it that, what we're really passionate about, and now the wheel starts to turn in terms of building the relationship with the consumer. So there's a lot of different ways to win in, in terms of product or, or, or company brand naming. And there's a lot of mechanisms that are successful. You don't have to go get your concealedcarry.com to pull it off. And with monetize your mindset, you look at that and, and it's, to me, it's self-explanatory if I just get my message out there. Plus, I'm not competing with anybody. I dominate the Google on that, the SEO on that. For your own brand search, sure. Correct. And yeah. if, if I get my message out and people, I need to get people to search for it, but if they were to search for it, you know, I dominate the top 15 spaces or 15 right. out of 20. And, and, and sometimes you can get lucky doing that. You can almost find something that people are searching for, or it's a phrase or something and the brand doesn't exist and you can go usurp that. Right. right. But it, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about this particular industry. So I don't know if there's already, you know, before your podcast existed, if there were search volume for phrases like monetize and mindset and whatever, you know, configuration someone might type them into Google. If there was, then great. Now, poof, you're going to capture that audience very quickly. So I think, you know, the, the advice to the entrepreneur, the business owner is to, to not, the main point I'm trying to communicate is don't give up because the domain's not available or, or don't acquiesce to a brand name that is only makes sense to you or that doesn't, you know, that doesn't, doesn't say what it is or doesn't help people understand what your deepest purpose and passion is because right. ultimately your customers, whether we're talking about the handful that come into your local shop, or if we're talking about the millions of people who buy Apple products, your customers are going to be the people who identify with and agree with your deepest purpose and passion. Right. So figure out how to communicate what that is and you'll attract the right people over time. Right. Okay. Great information there. Now let's go to a couple more quick questions before I let you go. You mentioned Simon Sinek's book, but what is your, your favorite book or the book that you resonate with the most to where you actually share the most or quote from the most? Hmm. There's a lot of lists there. So if you wanted to go <laughs> find me on uh, goodreads.com, I do keep records of all the books that I read. I review them and I keep, create sub lists there, like my favorite uh, marketing books or my favorite personal development books and per personal development books, things like that. But um, probably the book that I share the most or buy for people the most or refer people to the most, probably start with why by Simon Sinek, but a couple other ones come to, to, to mind that I'll mention just because it's fun here. Um, I really, really like the book Power of Habit which is by Charles Duhigg. Was right. New York Times bestseller, nonfiction list for like four years. Another one is Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. 
Uh, I think that's an amazing book and I'll let the, the, the interesting title just leave people hanging in terms of curiosity. You mentioned Timothy Ferris, four hour work week would definitely be on my short list and I'll give one more and that would be 1776 by David McCullough. Awesome. Okay. Lastly, what would be your best advice? We've, we've gone through a lot of advice here. What would be your top advice to someone sitting on the fence wanting to, to pull the trigger on their idea, their side hustle, their business? I think the best thing you could do is look past the friends and family that you're going to convince to buy your product or service and figure out your machine now. Figure out how you're going to scale the business in a profitable way. What am, how, how am I going to take money that we are going to generate or upfront capital that I bring into the business, spend it on advertising and have that turn into customers that make me more money than I spent on advertising. If you can't answer that question, you're probably not quite ready to start the business. I mean, certainly go get your product figured out and the development and maybe some of those other things. But until you can say, I got a plan where I can stick $100 into the machine and more than $100 is going to come out the other side. Even if it's completely based on things you don't, you don't, you may not know the variables. You don't, may not know how much advertising is going to cost perfectly. You may not know what your conversion rate is going to be or uh, your word of mouth rate or referral rate is going to be. But having some rough idea that I'm going to build X product or service. If I go spend X dollars on advertising here based on the research I was able to do, I think I could expect to get X number of uh, new customers or inquiries or leads. And I think I could convert X number or percentage of those inquiries or leads into customers. And on average, those customers are going to spend X number of dollars, which means I'm going to get X amount of profit. And when that profit number is equal to or greater than what you invest in the advertising, you have something. You have something. You might be wrong. All your numbers might be wrong. It might be the advertising costs more or your conversion rate is worse or who knows what. But, but at least you have a machine you've built. The machine may not be profitable yet, but at least you built one. And that mindset, that understanding that I shouldn't or that I, I can't really be successful as a business until I can scale at some degree. And that scale is going to require investing money in advertising. And that's going to have to be part of my budget. And I'm going to have to build a machine that allows me to have an ROI on that advertising budget. That's foundational. Right. Great information. So Jacob, where can people get a hold of you if they wanted to connect with you? So if you're interested in our business, any of our products or services, I would encourage you to just go to concealedcarry.com and explore. We have uh, tons of free content, free resources, free tools. We have a free app, uh, one of the ones I mentioned earlier, which is the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. It's also full of free things. No advertising in that app. I would encourage you to download it if you have any uh, passion relative to firearms or concealed carry at all. If you're interested in following me as an individual and my random thinking or thoughts, uh, my personal website is jacobspaulson.com. Jacob the letter S for my middle initial, Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-E-N.com. I think of it as my personal diatribe. I basically write things on there when I get the same question from two or three people in a row. Time for me to write a blog post. And that way I can stop having to answer people's questions. I can give them a link. So that's something you can check out. And obviously I'm personally on Twitter and Instagram. Those would be places people can follow me publicly. Awesome. Thanks for your time today, Jacob. I, I like the fact that we gave them more business than I expected here. <laughs> we did, we talked less about guns and more about business, but I like that you have taken something that you, you were interested in and turned it into an income stream, turn it into a business. Well, I appreciate it, Bart. I, I can tell you that the vast majority of media invitations I get, all they want me to do is talk about guns and gun law. So it's nice to uh, talk about business a little bit. Awesome. Thank you once again. And for everybody out there listening until next time, Go monetize it. Thanks for listening. Remember, monetize your mindset. 
Build financial security by monetizing what you already know so that you will always have the resources to deal with whatever happens when what happens, happens. Follow us on Facebook and at BartMerrill.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.